0: What is the Christian Church of Estes Park? What are we doing as a church family uh, for, our, for our missions? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Before we do that, of course, we always want to go back to God's Word and say, how do we approach missions? And it should be in, in a biblical way. Now, Jesus, uh, in Acts 1-8, uh, he has risen from the dead. And he's been with his disciples for 40 days uh, over that, and he's, uh, he's talked with them, and He's getting ready to, to go back to heaven. He's gonna, he has got a mission up there now for us. So, so he says, I'm going to be leaving, and I want you to do something. So what he tells his disciples, he says, listen, guys, you need to go back to Jerusalem. You need to wait. You need to wait till the Holy Spirit comes. And then, this is what he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, And to the ends of the earth. Now we know this is one of the great commissions for us. This is why we call it a commission. This is like our assignment from God. Since this is our assignment from God, it's important that we know it, right? That's why we're going to memorize it. We want to make sure this is not just something that we say, but it's part of who we are, right? Because this is what God told us to do, so we better be about it. So in your bulletins, there is a memory verse card. What you want to do, if you don't have this tattooed on your soul already, get started. Take that memory verse card out, and let's be uh, taking it this week. And as you memorize it, what I want you to do is be thinking about the different ministries and the missionaries that we are also supporting. How are we doing this so you can pray for them? I use this verse uh, um, oftentimes as I'm praying over our ministries. Why? Because we've designed our missions at the Christian church in line with this model. So Jesus, when he told his disciples, he didn't just say, go and make disciples, which he did do, and, and he told us to do that. But then he gives us a strategy for how to do it. Did you you catch that? Now, the first thing is he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? See, missions cannot be human-powered, right? If it is, then we're no better than McDonald's or Starbucks or something like this, right? We're not just selling a brand. We are bringing the, the word of life to a dark world. And it's something that's beyond our ability. We can't save the world, but God can. And he empowers us to do it. And so we need to make sure that we're working along God's plan, right? Now the disciples, if they, after Jesus told them this, if they just went out and they started telling people before the Holy Spirit came, do you think that we would have the church today like we do? No. No, they all got slaughtered in the streets. That's what would have happened. But they received power and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were in line with God's plan, what God wanted them to do. And God opened the doors and did amazing ministry. And the church grows and continues to grow today. Our church needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to make sure we're in, God's, we're in partnership with God in what we're doing. That's the very first thing, which is why it's so important as we begin our, faith, or our kingdom commitment, as we, as we think about that, be prayerful. Say, God, what is it that you want me to do? Right? How am I to be led by God? Now, as we do that, let's talk about where we are investing as a church. Our, our missions team, along with our pastors, uh, every year we we connect with our different ministries. We think about who we're going to support. And uh, this is where it goes. It doesn't go to some black hole or something like that. This is where our investment missions goes to. And so we start in Jerusalem. Now, you think that's interesting because, I mean, uh, our Jerusalem isn't actually Jerusalem. And so to explain that, let's, let's take a look. That's the world, okay? If you've seen that before. And if we expand the world, there's a place in the world called the Middle East. And that's kind of where, that's where Jesus was, right? And if we expand that out, we see that in the Middle East, there was uh, certain places. And this is where the disciples lived. This is where they began the mission things. That little star there is Jerusalem. That's the town. That's like the hometown where they started. And Jesus said, start in your hometown, okay? And the next thing it says, dead in Judea throughout Samaria. Okay, that's like the region. That's the area around it. You see the little, the little area right there? That's where they're supposed to go. And then, to the end of the world, he gives us a strategy. So we start at home, we expand out to our region, and then we also expand out into the world. I think a healthy missions strategy at a program addresses each of those three. And so that's how we have engaged ours. So we don't literally start in Jerusalem. Our Jerusalem is in Estes Park, right? So if we go to the next thing there, that little area right there, now that's way bigger than Estes, but that's so you can see it. That's kind of where we live, right? So in, how, is, how is the Christian Church of Estes Park, how are we as a church family reaching our community? Well, there's a couple ways that we do it officially. In a lot of ways, we do it unofficially. But officially, in our kingdom commitment, the first missions organization that we support in helping our community is through Crossroads. Now, if you've been part of uh, a, a member of uh, Estes Park community for any member, like just for a couple of months, I'm sure you might have heard the word Crossroads. Well, this is what it is. It is an organization that is a uh, that was started, actually, um, as a result of a flood, because we have those from time to time. In the 1980s, uh, there was a flood that happened in Estes, and... Uh, there were a lot of people that lost their businesses and homes, and there was a great amount of need. And it was so much need that each of the churches individually weren't able to, to, to reach it. In fact, a lot of the churches were destroyed or the people's businesses, I mean, it was hard. So, uh, so this guy came up with an idea. So listen, let's start an outreach that we can, we can care for our community. So several churches began to get together, and we started to pool our funds and not just our funds, but also our volunteer resources, also our prayer resources, also the different resources that we've had as churches that instead of buying all kinds of crazy things and being uncoordinated, we started to coordinate together to be able to reach our community at their point of need. See, Jesus cares for people at their point of need, doesn't he? When we're broke, when we're in the midst of chaos and trouble, when we can't eat, we don't have clothes, doesn't Jesus say, "Hey, listen, this is where you need to be because when you serve the least of these, you also serve me." Well, that's what Crossroads—the heart behind Crossroads—is right now. There are thirteen churches that help support that. The Crossroads provides on a daily basis as they're out there food support, housing support, transportation support, financial counseling, uh, things like this. They are. Uh, holistic in, in, in their ability to come in alongside and help people. One nice thing for this is this. Uh, one is that by working together, we are able to meet deeper needs. Uh, our church is a smaller church, but sometimes we have great need. Right? Sometimes there is a family or somebody, maybe we've had families here recently that have had their houses burned down. Well, that's a huge burden, especially if the person's part of a smaller church or don't ha- doesn't have a church at all. What do we, how do we work together? By working together, now we have the resources to come alongside, and not just for the financial help or the, or the material help, but also the emotional support that was required. How about in this recent flood that we had, right, where a lot of things were damaged? It was, uh, Crossroads was a place that everybody trusted, including across the nation, to be able to pool our resources to be able to help, right? So we're able to draw on donations, but they work with such integrity and with such a great heart with such efficiency that we were able to to really address a massive amount of need for our community. Crossroads done a phenomenal job. So we support them. And so we support them with our funds, but we also support them with our prayers, and we have a lot of people in our church who also support them with their volunteer hours. And so that's the first way that we want to reach folks in their times of, of deepest needs and trouble and Estes, so we support them. Now, the next thing we do is the hub and the huddle. That is our community youth ministry and is unlike anything anywhere else. I'm just so amazed at what God is doing in this. Now, the hub has only been around for a couple years, but it's been 20 years in the making. Uh, you know, over two decades ago, uh, I remember Amy and myself, along with some other uh, youth leaders from other churches, got together. We started praying about what is now happening. It's been a really just a cool thing. So we realized that uh, as I was helping out with kids that uh, there were a lot of Christians in the schools, but they didn't know each other were Christians because they went to different churches and they all felt alone. And And we weren't uh, being as effective. We were losing a, a lot of opportunity to share the gospel and things with the kids. So we decided, let's start working together. Well, the hub has become a reality. Uh, five churches are pooling our resources. We actually pay for a youth pastor for our community. James does a phenomenal job at that. And uh, the hub is growing like gangbusters. It's crazy. This last year, this is like the second year, that it's, uh, it's grown so much that the, the, the high school and middle school, of course, had to split because now there's too many. And so they meet at different times and different nights. And now they're growing so big that We're using the largest church in our community, and and, uh, we are pretty much at capacity of that. And if it continues to grow, and we pray that it does, we will need to find somewhere else. Uh, That's a great problem. Now, here's a cool thing that I find about the hub is we're hearing that the hub isn't just reaching lots of kids. uh, We're reaching the hardest kids. The, The worst of the worst are coming, and they're hearing the gospel. We've had a, a good number of baptisms this last year, decisions for Christ. Uh, the hub is a place where, where a, a great number of kids who are coming aren't believers at all, don't have any connection to church whatsoever. And what we're finding is that these kids, now they're coming to Christ, but now we need to help get them into local church bodies. That's the next step. Now, how does that happen? Right? We call it a hub for a reason, we want it to be the center, we want to draw the kids, but the You know, teenagers are just as much part of the church as we are, right? Adults, right? And so we need to make sure that they're connecting into church families and growing and being part of that. How does that happen? Well, the next thing that has to happen is we have to have sponsors, people from our church who actually go consistently and go and hang out with crazy teenagers. This is how it is. You don't have to reach every kid, but if you love kids and you can just be there consistently, and find maybe three or four, they always sit in circles or groups, right? Because kids, that's the way it works. And go and just be there, consistent. Go and just every week, make sure you say hi to those, that group of kids. Throughout the week, pray for that group of kids, right? Over time, you build relationship with that group of kids. When they make a decision for Christ or when something rough happens in their life, they will come to you as a person that you can then turn them to God to pray for them and pray over them. And what we've found is what we see is we're beginning to see families go from the hub and not just the teenagers, but their parents and their siblings coming to churches. And you know, it, and it's, it's an idea of, of cultural uh, restoration. And we're beginning to love and have opportunity to care for entire families. The hub is a powerful thing and we are just uh, amazed at that. So keep praying for it. Pray for wisdom for the leaders and, and what's happening there. It's awesome stuff. In addition to the hub, we also support life choices. Now Life Choices, it used to be the Caring Pregnancy Center, but it's actually broadened now. It's much part of a much bigger organization of Life Choices. Life Choices has a couple things that they uh, really focus on. One is education. There's a lot of bad information out there right now uh, as to what our families, how, are we, how we're supposed to care for one another. What, uh, uh, as far as teenagers and, and even young adults, what is Purity. Right? How do we do that? I mean, they they really teach from a very uh, good and and, uh, clinical way. And the last part is for sexual life choices as well, actually getting into the schools and teaching about purity and abstinence and and the power of that. Uh, And so they're on the front lines doing such things, but they also do support. See, the thing is is that when somebody comes into a crisis pregnancy, they're in a crisis. And what they need is care and support and love. And what. Life Choices does us exactly what they provide. Uh, and so uh, if a family comes in and they don't know what to do, uh, Life Choices, they're g- providing good counseling, help them make a good plan. What, you know, how do we move ahead on this? Uh, helping them uh, learn about how do, how do you be a parent, <laughs> right? What does this mean? Giving some training, things like this. But also providing material support. Like, uh, you know that those little onesies and things like that, that can be very expensive if you're just, you know, barely scraping by. How about diapers? How about uh, uh, bottles and formula and things like this? It's hard. So they provide material support for families to take off off a burden. And so support before the the birth, but also afterwards. Uh, Being there for the families, providing emotional support for the moms and even for the dads and caring for these families. But you know, we also live in a society where a great number of of, uh, women have gone through an abortion, and that leaves a scar. And these women need love and compassion and they need grace to realize that God cares for them deeply and that he can heal those scars. Those scars last oftentimes for decades and not just for the women but also for the men. And so what Life Choices does is they have an amazing, a very compassionate post-abortion care. It's, it's an opportunity, it's training, but it's also care for, to help these families heal from the trauma of abortion. Without judgment or without condemnation, but with compassion, the kind of compassion that I really think would reflect Christ. So we are proud to stand with Life Choices and and, uh, continue to do so. Of course, a lot of members of our congregation also volunteer time there, hours, um, you know, stacking, cleaning things, making things nice, and even getting the training to how to be a, a counselor there. It's an amazing thing. Also in our community, there's a lot of, non-official ministries that we do. You see, the thing is that we realize that Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. You're a missionary. In our church, we really believe that. Every member is a minister. Every Christian is a missionary. We, we're called Christians for a reason. That means this little Christ. We, 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 we represent Jesus where we go. And where do we go? We're here first. This is our Jerusalem. And so in our church, we have uh, Larry and Sherry Strong, their prison ministry. They're going in and and reaching people in the prisons. And if you saw Sherry, you would see that is the least likely person I would ever think of going into She is like the opposite of hardened, right? Well, they're going to be sharing in a couple weeks about that. But I'll tell you what, that's a powerful ministry. That we have paintball, right? We've opened, it, we've got room, right? You like uh, Michael Northcutt now reopening the paintball ministry, right? To reach kids that that, may, that are not being reached by anything else. We have sports. We have a lot of our uh, parents and, and stuff in our church that that uh, help out in the schools and with the athletics and and uh, coaching and things like this. Just getting out and serving. You know, I've coached for a couple of years. I've never preached a sermon whilst I've been coaching. Not with my words, with my life, I have say, love kids because God loves kids. And that gives us an impact, right? Each one of us has a mission. Each one of us has a ministry. And so our church is reaching all over this community. And we can't stop. We need to expand and grow. Why? Because there are still more people in Estes that don't know Jesus loves them than do. But this is our strategy for reaching our Jerusalem. And is Proven to be fairly effective, and we're going to continue growing it. But we can't just stay in our Jerusalem. There's a Judea and Samaria, and, and before we get into Judea Samaria, let's realize that that wasn't just light words. Jesus said, "Go to Jesus." That's not like just saying, "Hey, go to like uh, you know Nebraska and Oklahoma," right? There was a problem with Samaria, and that was this: is that the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along. And I'm saying it lightly. It's kind of like today with you know the Palestinians, like they don't like each other, not at all. And so, to tell this group of Christians who were Jewish, hey, we're going to be, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're like, sweet, and Judea, fine, other Jews, that's great. Samaria, hold up. (laughs) But Jesus didn't just say it, he did it. He showed them what that meant. There was a time, you can read about in John 4, so cool. Jesus is, uh, he's going to go from the south part of, of Israel to the north part. The problem was Samaria was right there in the middle. So most Jews walked around it. They crossed the river twice because they didn't want to go there. But Jesus is like, uh-uh, I love all people. I'm going to go straight through it. Plus it makes the most sense. So he's walking up through there and he gets to this village, right? And there's a water trough there, a well that happens to be there. And he's thirsty and he sits down and he sends his apostles into town like their McDonald's to get some flatbread because he's hungry. And uh, as he's sitting there, there's this, there's this, Samaritan woman at the well who had a shape, kind of a, a, a shadowy past. It wasn't a good past. So she wasn't proud of it. And she was there and he starts talking to her because he's a missionary, right? Jesus was the first greatest missionary. And he starts talking to her and, and uh, he says, hey, can you get me some water? And then by the end of the conversation, she realizes that he is the water of life, right? That, she's, that he's the Messiah that she didn't even know that she was supposed to be looking for. And he shows her such great compassion. And he breaks all kinds of norms and all kinds of things that will make us very uncomfortable. Right? For starters, she's a very sinful gal and he's a very holy man. And you would think, what are you doing, this sinful person talking to a holy man? That didn't happen. Or how about this, that she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew. That was a good reason enough, not, for them not to talk to her. He's a man and she's a woman. In that culture, it was a no-go. But Jesus didn't care about those things because he cared about the person and he talked to her and he reveals himself to her and she's so excited she runs into the town cuz Jesus this is how she finds out that Jesus really knows the truth as he says listen i know that you've had lots of husbands and she's like oh, you must be god cuz nobody else knew that right except for everybody else in the community but certainly not you <laughs> Jew guy that came through right she runs into the town and says this guy told me everything i've done you, he's the Messiah. And then it says there, it says uh, in John 4:39, it says, "Many Samaritans from the village believed because Jesus, uh, uh, because of Jesus, uh, had told the woman what she had done. And when they came out to see him, they begged Jesus to stay in their village, in a Samaritan village." And it says, so he stayed there for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is the Savior, get this, of the world. There's a testimony when we love people who we're not supposed to love. I think there's a lesson for us in that where Jesus said, you know what, don't just stick in Jerusalem and don't just stick in Judea, but go to Samaria. Don't be afraid of that. Because God wants us to go to those who are close to us, right, but are not the same. And I think sometimes crossing those cultural boundaries are way harder than crossing international boundaries. But Jesus calls us to do that. And it says uh, we learn from there that God allows us to assist the work of others. Do you know that our Samaria is somebody else's Jerusalem? Did you ever think of that? Here's a good example of how that happened that benefited us. After the flood, we had some problems, right? The lower level, which we are now rebuilding. and We've got all kinds of construction dust because of. Right? It was flooded. We had roof problems, mold on the back wall. It was bad. And, and we were also trying to reach out to our community. What are we going to do? Well, there's a church down in, in, in Niwat called uh, Rocky Mountain Christian Church. You know what they did? They helped us pay for the roof. They didn't pay for all of it, but they paid a good chunk of it. You know what else they did? They sent up some people, helped us come up with a strategy. They came into my office and prayed over me because I was stressed out about that time, right? Because I just became lead pastor and now my church is flooded. That was bad. <laughs> Right, But they also helped us with, with material aid and ideas and, and, and to, to be able to reach our neighborhood and community more effectively. See, we were there, Samaria, right? They were actually we were there, Judah, right? Judea, but they, they helped us. They built on a foundation for us and they helped us and magnified the ministry that we can do. We do that for others when we step alongside and support other churches. glad to do that. But you know what? I think this also tells that Jesus said, Go to Samaria. This is so cool. God is at home at places that we're not. God loves people that we have a hard time loving. And sometimes when we go to those places, we, we don't just find other people. We find that Christ has already been there and He cares for people. And, he, and we find that He is much greater than we ever could have imagined. I think that's what the disciples discovered when, when they found Jesus talking with that Samaritan when they stayed in the Samaritan village for a couple of years or a couple days. Isn't that amazing? God changes us. Now, how does our church reach our Samaria. Well, that would be kind of like our, the United States, I would say. if That's kind of our region. And there are our four different missions groups that we officially support in there. And the, and the first one is Interfaith, Faith, the second is Interfaith, Camp Como, and Aids. These are the four that we support. And so we invest in them. So we'll talk about each of those briefly. Interfaith is a uh, neat ministry. It's, uh, uh, it's basically the idea where... Uh, Oftentimes we think of missions where we go to the ends of the earth. Interface realizes that sometimes the ends of the earth comes to us. Right? And oftentimes that happens on college campuses. There are some really great schools around our country that draw in the very best and brightest from cultures all around the world. A lot of them coming from very closed countries where it's against the law to be a Christian. You can face harsh persecution being a Christian. It's very difficult to plant missions in those places. But guess what? Those people are coming to, to our schools. So Interfaith says, let's put missionaries on those campuses for those international students. And so that's what they do. Now we support a particular set of missionaries from Interface. That's Terry and Trudy Thompson. That's a the couple there that you see. They are located in, in Golden, Colorado at uh, the School of Mines, because School of Mines is a phenomenal school. And there's tons of schools. In fact, over the last couple of years, usually about 400 students from international students from all the world go to, that, to, uh, to the School of Mines every year. And what they do is they reach out to them. This is what they do. They, f- they start with meeting material needs. And how they do that is they have this thing they start every year. It's called the garage giveaway. If you are traveling to a foreign country to attend a college, which is expensive enough, you're probably not going to bring your dresser, right? Or your bed, right? It's expensive to pack up your dishes. So a lot of these students come to the States, they, they get a small apartment, and they have nothing, when interface decides that, you know, it's a very compassionate thing to do is help meet those needs. And so what they do is they draw in high-quality donations throughout the year. There's a church that helps support them that gives them the space, and they set it up like a big showroom, and they take these students through, and the students can pick out anything they want. And once they have pick out what they want, then volunteers from churches like ours, we go down with our trucks, and we load up these things, and we drive them over to these, these students' apartments, and we unload them and help set them up. So that's a picture of Christ going the extra mile. We get to do that. Terry and Trot too do you get to do that. It opens doors and opportunities. How many? Well, they have students from Iran. They have students from China. Uh, from all all the places that it was hard to to. Uh, places where it's difficult to share the gospel. This gives us a way in for them to experience Christ's love firsthand. The next thing they do is they they provide a conversational class for women. Why? A lot of these countries, uh, the husbands will come in and learn these engineering trades, right, these things, and their wives will come. Well, the husbands are in class all day, so they're getting to learn English, but the wives aren't. And what they discovered is these wives would feel very lonely because nobody speaks their language. So they're home all day, and they can't even go out and do anything. They can't even hardly shop because they don't know the language. So what uh, Interface has done, and Terry and Trudy, is they teach a conversational class for these wives, for these women, so they can learn the language, to be able to talk, it, so they can have some freedom whilst they're here. It's an amazing way of showing God's love in a real way. They also have what's called International Bible Exploration Time. That's code word for church. And the, the reason they call it International Bible Exploration, uh, 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 exploration time is this. In a lot of those countries, it's against the law to, to go to a church, right? Those people would be like, I don't want to have anything to do with that, right? And so what they do is they change the name. It's an International Bible Exploration. they going to church. You're going to explore the Bible. Why? Because those students, when they come to the States, one of the things they're supposed to do is learn about the culture. And part of our culture is our faith. We have a great heritage of faith in our, in our culture and our nation. So they invite these students to come, and that's exactly what they do, is they get to see and explore our faith. And it's amazing, many do come to faith because of that. And they also have something in tandem that comes with that. On On Wednesday nights, they have a midweek evangelism-type service where they go in and share the gospel even a little more directly and have a time to discuss with students if they want to come. It's amazing what's happening in Interface. You have four years with students. Jesus took three years with his disciples, Right? We're finding that, that students are coming in, they're meeting Jesus, they're having their lives changed, they're being trained, they, they, they have that, that life transformation, they're learning the word of God, and now they're going back into their home countries. And churches are being planted, and the gospel is growing, it's phenomenal what Terry and Treat are doing. They're going to be here in a couple weeks, and uh, just um, to explain some of this cool stuff they're doing this next year. But we support them, we also support in-faith. In-faith is, is another type of ministry, uh, well what they do is they say, listen, uh, the United States needs missionaries. Right? And sometimes those missionaries are people that are called into fields that don't pay a ton but are really important. Things like uh, you know, working at uh, maybe like a senior type center, caring for the elderly, or maybe it's uh, uh, working in, in um, supporting uh, community efforts, uh, community transformation. Maybe it's working at, at Christian camps. And for some of you who have worked in Christian camps, you know it's hard to have a career working in a Christian camp. Well, there's a couple that, that we support, uh, Jennifer and Kevin Domes. Uh, Jennifer, uh, uh, daughter of uh, Jerry, Mary, and Pettit, who are founding members of our church, still here. Well, Jennifer grew up, went to college, and then felt a call into ministry into the United States. Mary, Kevin, who had the same thing. And uh, they are now in-faith missionaries, we support them, and they have been called to serve at Bethel Bible Conference, which is in Wellfleet, Nebraska. Last year we went up there and kind of helped clean up the camp. The camp has been around. Now, um, it's been there long enough now that you have third generation attending. People don't move out of Nebraska like they do Estes, right? People stay for generations. So you had people that were grandparents who went to that camp and found Christ, and then their kids went to that camp and found Christ, and now you have their grandkids. Uh, it's been there for a long time. It's, uh, but because it's in Nebraska, it's not like coming to Estes Park where there's you know mountains and all that kind of beautiful stuff where we get a little bit more money for those types of things. It's it's pretty basic, but a powerful ministry. So we support them and they're doing phenomenal work and empowering them to do that. Such a faithful couple. They'll be they were here a couple of weeks ago because uh, Jerry Marion still live here. They come from time to time. Make sure you give them a big hug when they're here. Also Camp Como. That's another camp in. Colorado that's from a Colorado Christian services camp uh, that's up there in Como Colorado by Mill Park it's beautiful it's a very high quality great camp uh, we like to support them um, last week we talked asked about people who had gone to Christian camps and it changed their life and never pretty much everyone's gone said yes well this is the camp that we go to our kids go to this uh, in uh, in a couple weeks uh, we'll, in, in July we'll be taking a group of students uh, elementary school students up to the Camp Como camp there uh, and if you want more information about there, there's a bulletin in the, or a brochure in the back about how to sign up. We have scholarship money. Thank you for your generosity for that. So it's going to be very affordable uh, for anyone who wants to go. But uh, it's just a way for us to be able to send our kids so that they have an opportunity to appreciate those kids. And we've got great camps here in Estes, but sometimes it's good for our kids to get out of Estes because then they feel, I don't know why, they just they think it's more fun. Okay, <laughs> so then there's IDES, International Disaster Emergency Services. It's kind of like... Red Cross, but for the long haul. It's the International Disaster Emergency Services, they're international, they go all over the world, but they also serve in the United States. What they do is they go into places that have had a disaster, and they work with Red Cross and Samaritan's Purse and with the local governments and things like that, and they help create, uh, uh, bring in a bunch of resources and things like this to, to meet a community's needs. But what they also do is they stay in there for, the long, for a much longer haul. Uh, what happens is uh, Red Cross, Samaritan's First, all those. Pretty much, what they'll do is uh, they'll come in and they'll take care of the immediate need, make sure that people have tents and housing and things like this, uh, and so that the, huma- the first basic humanitarian needs are met. And that's a phenomenal thing to do. What happens is is that there's always another disaster, and so then the world's attention gets turned to that. And and after up to usually those groups are only there for nine months, sometimes up to two years, but then they're gone. Well, the United States is unique. We have got good infrastructure. So, when we had the flood here, it wasn't, uh, what, it was less than a, than a year. We had roads accessed, right, to back to the, to the other things. Well, that really helped our economy, right? It was only a couple months and we had access. Our roads were able to, to be opened again so then we could have goods and services and that kind of stuff. A lot of places in the world, they don't have that kind of infrastructure. If a road gets washed out, it's gone. And now the economy is gone and the people that are there are isolated. And after the international services leave, what's left? How, do, how does this community rebuild? IED specializes in this. So one of the things they do is they've put a big portion into nutrition assistance. Because when you don't have economy that can support things, you oftentimes don't have food. And it's really hard to fix your economy and your community if you're not eating. So they support that. They go in there and they actually help feed people. But as they're feeding people, they're educating them. Because oftentimes after disaster, you've got to relearn. There has to be a new economy. There has to be new ways or maybe ways of fixing things that they didn't know before. Eyes goes in and they stick with them and they teach them and train them so the community can be rebuilt. And that takes a long-term effort. And so IDES does it. Ige helped us, by the way, when, the, when we had our flood, right? They helped us make sure that we got our driveway back and, and they helped us. Actually, they were helping us rebuild our downstairs, uh, which is a great thing. They have certainly have helped us and they've helped our community. But their longer-term approach is something that we really feel mirrors the heart of Christ. Because as they're serving people and helping build community, they're serving in the name of Christ. Uh, they're, they're bringing the gospel and the love of Jesus to people as well, and it's all over the world. They're a phenomenal organization, and we love to support them. And then uh, we talk about now the ends of the earth. How do we go? Well, AIDS is our first foray into that, but God has a heart for the global missions. Jesus didn't just come to save the Jews. I'm so grateful for that because I would be lost. I have an Irish heritage, right? Jesus loves it. Jesus even says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came to save. In Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, the prophecy was that that a light was coming, be a light even to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. That was for us. Well, Jesus said, You'll be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's right. So, how are we being witnesses to the ends of the earth? Well, our church has decided to. uh, to make sure that we're very strategic in how we, we go to the ends of the earth. We're a small church, so we can't do everything. We want to do our part. And so uh, we have four missions that we support uh, that are in three continents and three different countries. And we'll talk about them briefly. The first one is TCI. That's in Ukraine. IMD, that's in Africa. Uh, Zambia. CWO is in Zambia and DFN. Now, why do international missions all have three letters? I don't know. They just do. <laughs> so... Let's talk about the first one, TCI uh, in, in Ukraine. That stands for Travisky Christian Institute. It's a 20-year-old Bible uh, training. It's like a seminary. And our church has been supporting them for about 20 years. The gentleman that you see up there talking, his name is Valak Sinny. He is the president of TCI. Our church has supported him, paid his salary. and Well, actually, he paid his, his uh, tuition and now his salary ever since he was a student. And so we've been with them a long time. He's a phenomenal man. He's getting his doctorate uh, right now. And as now in 20 years, uh, TCI has grown, and now they have four campuses, and different ones in the Caucasus and in different parts of the region. Some of the campuses, uh, actually now they have five as of this year, two of those campuses are underground, which means that they're in countries that it's against the law to be a Christian. And their staff, uh, when caught, some of them just disappear. So they're working in areas, but the, the heart of TCI is this. They want to train Christian leaders. So when the Iron Curtain fell... There wasn't access to the Bibles. There wasn't access to, as uh, to, to, uh, you wanted to plant a church, where were the church planners? Well, they had to be Western people, but they didn't know the culture as well. TCI is training locals. Uh, how to, to, to understand the Bible, to ha- be equipped that way. They're, they're translating works uh, that, uh, into Russian and into Georgian and, and, and all these types of things so that we, the people can read and have biblical helps in their own languages. But they're training pastors, they're training Sunday school teachers, they're training elders, they're helping form churches. When TCI began, there was only two churches in this massive city of 300,000 people, which is uh, where they're at in Kyrgyzstan. Now there's over 20 churches. The churches are growing and they're doing great things, right? And they're expanding. Now they're in all kinds of other countries and they're doing the same thing there. TCI is phenomenal and they're innovative as well. We found in a lot of countries, especially the countries that are, uh, it's against the law to be a Christian. If you're caught having Christian literature, uh, you can just, uh, you'll be tortured or killed. So what they've done is they, we buy, we help support this, uh, we buy um, laptops for the students. And on the laptops, there's a little thumb drive. It's about this big. And on that thumb drive is an entire Christian library a pastor can need to, to write all of the sermons, has Bibles, all that kind of stuff. They could do so they could do that. Well, once they get raided, you pull that out. There's no evidence on your computer it was there. And they can toss it into a field or whatever. Uh, they're very inexpensive now for us to, to produce. Uh, TCI is doing phenomenal things, and so uh, continue to pray for those. We try to go over there a couple of years, uh, just returned this year from a missions team that did that. Of course, they're also doing the support for all the refugees and the widows and orphans from the war over there, so TCI. Next one that we support uh, is going to be IMD. They've got two in Africa. IMD, uh, is uh, what they do is they train uh, local leaders, uh, indigenous people, to be uh to be church leaders in their community, right? So uh, they go to the least reached people groups in the world, right? So all over the world, least reached means this. Either they've never heard the gospel, or the last time somebody came and shared the gospel in that community was over 100 years before, so they're going to places that the gospel just has not been there. They go in, they, they bring people to Christ, and then they train those people to become leaders and just plant their own churches whilst they're there and then support them. And so every year we have members of our church that are on the board that also go down and train these leaders. Our focus is in Africa, in Zambia, Africa. Henry Kotentilko is a gentleman that you see there. It's a really old picture. His kids are much bigger now. Um... He's uh, He was trained under a guy named Kus Besson, who we supported. He came here last year, uh, South African guy, great accent. Uh, Kus was trained by him. Now he is uh, leading and starting churches at, and training leaders, and that's where our support goes to, and is just doing phenomenal work. Hundreds of churches being affected from that ministry over there. Also... Uh, in Zambia, we have another one that's in Ndola, which is a city. And in Ndola, uh, in Zambia, what we find is there's a huge problem with the AIDS epidemic. Uh, tons of people suffering from AIDS, um, but also there's a lot of uh, widows orf- and mostly orphans from the AIDS epidemic. And so what, one of the things that uh, the CWO is, uh, uh, Bill and Marcy Hoover are the missionaries that we support through CWO, Christian World Outreach, uh, is uh, they go in and they do AIDS uh, care. And so they help provide to make sure that there's clinics, training, education, so that the uh, teaching about abstinence and all those types of things as well to help turn the tide in the community. And this is in a, in an urban environment, so there's a lot of people around it. Another thing they do is they have a ministry to what's called the Street Boys. These are mostly orphans from the AIDS that have no family, nothing. And they live on the streets and they do these menial jobs, like they'll shine your shoes and stuff like that. What uh, C- uh, Bill and Marcy have is they invite these guys over and they feed them. And they also provide an education because one of the things that keeps people stuck in poverty is the lack of access to education. And so they're providing education to these, these guys, and they're training them a better way of life so they don't go and join militias and do all kinds of bad things like this. So they're loving them. And then they also have a library. Why a library? Because remember, access to education is one of the things that keeps a community stuck in, in, in poverty. And so in their library, every day they have over 40 people access their library. Uh, they're coming in. They're teaching kids how to read. They're teaching their community how to, uh, economics, basic things like that, how to start businesses, all that kind of stuff, all in the name of Christ, doing phenomenal stuff and have been there faithfully for, I think, like over a decade, uh, just serving and loving that community. I want to continue to keep them in prayer. Well, uh, that's down there in Africa. and over in India, we have in Mirkanam, uh, we support the Dal- Dalit Freedom Network. In India, uh, Hinduism was kind of the, the general cultural religion. And in Hinduism, there's a caste system, even though it's not officially that way. Unofficially, it still very much exists. And at the very bottom of the caste system, uh, there is what's called the deletes. And they're actually considered less than human. They're subhuman, uh, according to the Hinduism. And because of that, they're untouchable. Meaning this, that if you are not a delete person, you're not supposed to even touch these Deletes. If you do, you get infected by it or something. So bad is it that the people that are, that are born into this to be deleted, they can't even use regular dishes. They have to use these, these clay cups. So after they take a drink, they throw them on the ground and it breaks. So that way no one accidentally drinks out of a cup they did. That's how low they are. That's how If you are born into generations, thousands of years of that type of, of, uh, of being uh, just enslaved by that, it's really hard to break out of. You believe for generations that you're worthless, uh, that it's, it's really tough. Now, India is a secular country, it's supposed to be, so by law, the lead kids are supposed to have access to schools because of the way the culture is. Yeah, they can go to the schools, but they can't learn. They don't get books, they don't get desks. If they do go to a school, they have to sit in the back corner and not t- ask questions. Now tell me a six-year-old that you know is going to be able to sit in the back corner and not ask questions, right, while all the other kids get books and things like this, it is very hard for a delete person to break out of the poverty. So what we have done as the churches in Estes Park, as we've gotten together with the other churches just here in Estes and worked with the Delete Failure Network and we've built a school in Miracanum. We pay for the school, we staff the school, we support the students that go through it. There's no other organization that helps us with, no money comes from outside of Estes to help this. This is a work of, of the body of Christ in Estes Park. Now, we built this school, and it's in an area that is most predominantly Muslim. Uh, That's just the area that was an opportunity for us to build it there. Most of these families have no access to, never heard the gospel, most of them. Most of these families, the kids, go to work when they're four or five years old, making bricks and things like this, oftentimes sold from their families into slavery for less than $30. Uh, That's the level of poverty that we're talking about. We built a school there. We provide a free education, a good quality education for these kids where they're not shunned, where they're treated as, as people with dignity. right? We're, we're giving them hope. And Not only do we provide them a safe place to learn and a quality education, we give them clothes because it's amazing how many don't have that kind of access to at least clothes as kids grow. We provide them with all of the supplies and materials they need to learn so they get books and papers and pens and, and all that kind of stuff. Not only that, but we also provide food for them because it's hard to learn when you're hungry. And so these kids come. Now, we as the churches have come together. This last year, we built a wall around, remember, to keep the Cobras out. That was a big deal. And also, there are people that steal those children and sell them into slavery so that the wall protects the kids while they're on campus. Now, we're hoping to build a second level on there so we can have a computer lab so that way we can increase the education up to eighth grade. Because what's happening is these kids are now getting to the point, we've been there long enough, then they're graduating in eighth grade, now they've got to go back into the public schools. And they're, they're having a really hard time breaking out of that. So we want to continue this on, and that's the next thing that we want to, as the churches, will be an initiative to be building a second level to get a computer lab. The Indian government requires us to, to have a computer lab in order to teach up through eighth grade. So that's why we're doing it. Every year, in the back, you'll see little cards that have a kid's picture on it, and a little thing about them, to sponsor. That's because nobody else sponsors these kids. We do that. And So if you see those in the back, pray about it because that picture is actually a real kid. That is the kid. And if you sponsor that kid, that child goes to school. And if no one sponsors that kid, they have to got to wait till another year. And so take a look next year as we have those out. Take a look and say, is this a kid I can sponsor uh, to go to school? And we encourage you not just to, to pay for their education but to write them and let them know that they're loved. It's an amazing thing when you get to go sh- show God's love in a real and a practical way. The Elite Freedom Network. We're going to be going back in a couple of years as well. Hopefully you'll get to join us and get to see the amazing thing that's happening there. So that's what we're doing. That's how our church is affecting this world. How can you join in? What are things that you can do? Well, the first thing I would say, learn about and pray for our missionaries. It's hard to, when you give to a kingdom commitment, if you're just giving your money, you don't know what you're giving to, that's fine, but you lose your heart, your passion, right? See what the amazing things that we're connecting with. This is our church family helping the kingdom of God grow. Other family members across the world, so learn about them. How do you do that? Well, go on the internet, right? You, you have your notes. Look them up. See what, what they're doing. Also, every time we get a letter from our missionaries, we attach it to our, our weekly updates. So if you're not getting our weekly updates just from the church, it's the once a week thing that gives you an update what's happening. Let us get your email address on your connection card, write that down, but every time we get an update, we'll send that to you. Also, we have a mission board on the back. Every time we get some updates, we 'll we'll post them there, take a look, see what's happening. Something else that you guys can do is join the missions team. Mission team is a phenomenal group. I mean they're, people are passionate about reaching this, the lost world with cry for Christ. So if you want to be part of that, they meet once a week, uh, once a month. that's all they do. First service, once a month. And if you want to be part of that, let us know. There's a place on your connection card. You can write that down. We'll let you know when the next meeting is so you can at least show up and see if that's something you would like to do. Another way you can support it is volunteer at a local ministry. There are a lot of ministries here in Estes that need not just dollars, but they need hands and feet, right? That's how we get to show. So if you maybe you have an extra hour once a week, maybe a couple hours, uh, maybe uh, once or twice a month, that's pretty regular. You can say, I'm going to invest this. Go and serve at Crossroads. Go and serve at the Hub. Right? Go, go and serve at, at, at Life Choices, but invest your time in a local ministry. Also, you can join the kingdom commitment. Right, You can say, you know what? I'm going to invest in the expansion of God's kingdom. I'm going to stand with the church together as our family. This is what you're investing in. and If you feel called to do that, that's what that card is, that's that two-part card. If you know how much you want to, maybe it's a monthly donation, maybe it's just once a year or whatever, write down what it is. And take off the second part that you you keep and and let us know. Put that in, in the offering basket. So that way when our missions team meets at the end of the month, they'll be able to build a budget. If you stand with us in this, let me give you a challenge. It's been 10 years since our church and our kingdom commitments have increased our support to any of our missionaries. We've increased the number of missionaries, but now we want to increase the amount that we give to our missionaries. Why? Because life gets more expensive, doesn't it? So, if you've given a little in the past, you've been faithful in the past. I encourage you, maybe, maybe increase, maybe even just by ten percent of what you're giving to the to the faith or to the kingdom commitment. Why? That allow us to increase what we're helping them with, and you can see what they're doing is phenomenal and good work. Uh, if you've never supported in the past, we encourage you to start. Begin. Stack hands with us. And why does it matter that we have to know how much you're going to give? Why give a pledge? Well, it helps us to to be very good stewards of the money that God gives us. If the missions team knows, listen, we can have this much, we know where to direct that money prayerfully. So we're walking in, 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 in obedience to the spirit where he's calling us to do. If we don't have that, yes, of course, we'll be able to send it out, but it's more of a last minute decision. This is important enough, I think, is that we should really consider it and to be strategic about how we are being faithful in reaching God's, uh, this world for Christ and, and building his kingdom. So, So that's the way you can support. Now, as I bring this message, and I know this is probably not the most life-changing message in the world, but I think it's important for us to realize what we're doing, right? Are we on task? So how can you, throughout this week, including to, in addition to those things, what are some commitments that you can make today to take some steps uh, and to, to help this effect, this message affect your life? I think the first thing to do is maybe you can memorize Acts 1-8. You know, Acts 1-8 is great because I gave you a lot of people to pray for, it gets jumbled up in your head. But if you remember, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to, to be as witnesses starting in Jerusalem. Well, I can pray for our missionaries in, in J- our Jerusalem. How about Caring Pregnancy Center? How about the hub? How about, how about I'm going to pray for life choices, right? You can pray for them. How about Judea and Samaria? Well, now I'm thinking about interface, right, and interfaith. I'm, that's going to be able to help you connect. But it also helps us as a church stay on track. We want to make sure that we don't just do things. We want to do things the right way in God's way in obedience. So memorize that. Make sure that your life falls in fact and you know how you're reaching God's world. Also, maybe you want to do this. Maybe you want to pray for one of our missionaries. That's a great thing to do. Maybe somebody I talked about today struck a, a chord in your heart and you said, you know what, I, I maybe want to learn more about that person, but I want to, I'm going to start praying for them or that ministry Do that. Make a commitment. Say, this week I will be praying specifically for that ministry or that mission. How about this? Maybe you want to partner with our kingdom commitment. Maybe today you don't know how much you're going to, but you say, you know what? I'm going to go home. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to do business with God. But you can let us know. I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to be stacking hands with the church. We're going to invest in the kingdom commitment. Uh, And so you can let us know that so we can be praying for you as you make that, that God will give you wisdom. How about this? Maybe you want to attend the next missions team meeting. Maybe you want to do something different than just sending money. Maybe you want to be part of the leadership team that prays over, asks God for who are we supposed to to meet with. You can stay in touch with our missionaries, encourage them, pray for them, get to know them. Maybe that's what you want to do. Then let us know so we can make sure that you get the information so you can go to the next missions team meeting. Maybe there's something else I didn't think of. Write that down. Maybe you have a prayer request. Uh, Why? Because uh, as I bring this message to a close and and we get to wrap this up and before we take our offering, I you know this. You're a part of not just my Jerusalem. You're my church home. I care about you. And we need to be caring for those, our brothers and sisters. And if you have something that's going on in your life that you would appreciate prayer for, let me know. I'll be praying for you this week, our staff, our pastors. We love to care for you and pray for you. So write that down. And and, uh, here in a few minutes, we're going to take our offering. Along with our tithes, our offerings, I encourage you, please uh, let us take this connection card and put it in the offering basket as well. Before we do that, let's pray for our offering. Let's pray for our commitments. Please join me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have a missionary heart. When the world was lost and we weren't even looking for you, in fact, oftentimes we were looking for every way we could run from you, you came to us. You put on skin, you came down, you walked amongst us, you lived life here, and you didn't just get to to know about us, you got to know us. And you, you showed us what it was like to live a faithful life a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of love. You showed us your heart for the lost. You showed us your passion for those who, who, who haven't heard. And then before you left, you gave us the dignity of a commission. Father God, I pray that you help our church to have a heart that beats just like it in, in the heart of Christ. That we would not be content to let our world just suffer and, and to... And to just wander into destruction unknowingly. God, let us see our world with eyes of love. That the people of this world are not our enemies, but Father, they are those that need to know you. Father, help empower our church. Thank you for the opportunity and the the privilege of stacking hands with these, these faithful men and women, these ministries and these missionaries, both local and regional and abroad, that we can stand with. Father, bless them. I pray that you would enrich their their lives, bless their families. God, care for those missionaries. Encourage them on the fields where they're at. Protect them, Lord, and, and increase your kingdom through their work. And Father, help us to be a blessing to them. Let us know how we can stand with them. Father, as we, as as a church, as we take time to to say, what is it that you want us to do? How do you want us to invest in in our kingdom commitment? God, speak to our hearts. We know that we are empowered by your Holy Spirit. We've got to be faithful to you and walking with you. So show us what that is. And give us the courage, Father, to to act in obedience. And in all of this, God, we ask you to be glorified. And Lord, these commitments that we've made today, Lord, these are commitments between us and you. Help us to keep them that you would build us to more of a likeness of your son, the character of your son as we keep them. And you would build not just your kingdom but, but around us, but you would build your kingdom in us. And Father, we pray for our tithes and our offerings. We're thankful that we, we have the privilege of giving back just a portion of that which you've given to us. God, bless it and use it to build your kingdom here. Not a church, God, but your kingdom. This we ask in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior Christ. Amen.